we see the crowd still following Jesus. And again, Jesus is still trying to teach them, to prepare them to make the move from unbelief to belief, from faithlessness to faith in the mystery that he will feed them with his body and blood. But why is Jesus spending all this effort on teaching first? Because moving to faith is difficult for fallen creatures like us, especially when we insist on clinging to that intoxicating illusion that we are gods, that life should work out the way we think it should work out, that God must act in accordance with our preconception of what he ought to do or what he is what is possible or not possible for God to do. We're always trying to box God in and keep him confined. And did you hear what the people call Jesus? What did they call him? Rabbi. It was, of course, a title of honor, a title of respect, but boy, what a drop from the title that was given to him by the same people in last week's gospel reading, which I know you all took home and you memorized. And what was he called last week? The prophet. The one who was to come into the world. They were even ready to take Jesus off and make them their, their king. But the fact is, they had no idea who Jesus was. They saw only a man, nothing more. Reading their hearts, as only God can do, Jesus said out loud what they had kept to themselves, that they followed him not out of faith, not out of affection, not out of any kind of love, but simply because they had, they had participated in that miraculous feeding. They had their bellies filled with bread and fish. But it begs the questions, why do you and I follow Jesus? Because maybe we were raised in a church and that's what you do, you go to church? Do we think we rack up brownie points with God by coming to church? Do we think we might catch a divine break if we read the scriptures and say our prayers? What do our words and our behaviors reveal about what we really think about Jesus? Well, the Lord was patient with them, as he's patient with us. And he said something very interesting in reference to himself. He said, for on him, Jesus, the Father, God, has set his seal. Now think about this. When you apply a seal to a document, what does that seal do to the document? Ain't rocket science. It imprints the seal. It infuses, it embeds the seal. Whatever's on the seal, that is infused and embedded on the document. 
It also gives absolute confidence that whatever words are on that document, they are the giver's words. And for the ancients most especially, there was the understanding that when that document was read, maybe it came from the governor, maybe it came from the emperor, maybe it came from a king or the high priest, didn't make any difference. When that document was read, it was not the voice of the reader you heard, it was the voice of the giver of that document. That's what the seal meant, that it is the giver. Jesus, the Son of God, bears the imprint of the seal of his Father on human flesh he, that he took through the consent of the Virgin Mary and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. And this is why Jesus said, the Father and I are one, as recorded in John's Gospel. This is why we say in the creed, Sunday after Sunday, although I think most of us do it rather mindlessly, that Jesus is consubstantial with the Father, that he's one in being with the Father, that he shares the one divine essence with the Father. To deny the divinity of Jesus is a supreme heresy. It is the ultimate expression of human arrogance. Well, the people asked the Lord an interesting question. What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Now, they knew there were 613 precepts in the law of Moses that they had to follow if they wanted to be righteous before God, to be in a good relationship with God. So in essence, they're asking, so Jesus, what precepts, what works do you have for us? We know what Moses had. What do you want? And the Lord's answer, this is the work. Notice they ask in the plural, works. Jesus answers in the singular, work. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. In other words, there's no set of precepts, there's no extra sets of commandments, there's no set of things, there's no amount of things, there's no amount of works that one can do to make oneself righteous before God. There's only one work, to accept the gift of faith. The work is faith, and the faith expressed is the work. Well, then the people dared to ask Jesus a truly ridiculous question. What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Excuse me? You all have been following Jesus back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. You all went to that miracle where he fed you with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. You all had your bellies filled. Really? What can you do? You know, sometimes we are such silly and stupid creatures. And then they referred to the manna that their ancestors ate. Now, according to the Torah and, and rabbinical commentary, the chosen people were given the gift of manna not just once, but they had it for all 40 years of their journey in the wilderness. So what they're really asking Jesus is, Jesus, are you going to give us bread from heaven, manna, for 40 years, like Moses did? 
They were trying to compare Jesus with Moses. Jesus, however, would not allow that to happen. He reminded them, as he reminds us, that the blessing of the manna was from God, not from Moses. And by pointing them back to God, Jesus was taking them back to what he just taught them, that on him, Jesus, the Father has set his seal. They could not compare Jesus with Moses, because while Jesus shares our human nature, he is the Son of God, a divine person, one in being with the Father. Moses was none of those things. Instead, Jesus tells them and us, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He is asking them, and he is asking us, to see past Moses, to see past the boundaries and limitations we're always trying to set on God, and to realize the mystery that he, Jesus, the one on whom the Father has set his seal, is the bread of life come down from heaven, that his word will make real what he sends it out to make real and will not return to him empty. But did you notice the response of the people? They called him what? Sir. Sir, give us this bread always. Last week they called him the prophet who was to come into the world. Then they called him rabbi. Now they call him what? Sir. The more he taught to prepare them for the mystery that he is the bread come down from heaven, the more they closed themselves off to him. In other words, give us the miracle, Jesus. Just give us the manna. Fill our bellies. That's all we want from you. But none of this other stuff. That We don't want that. Just give us the miracle. Are there times when we ask the Lord for special favors, but otherwise we ignore them? When instead of cultivating a relationship, a friendship with Jesus, who desires to feed us with himself as the bread and life and the cup of salvation, we reduce him to a set of Bible verses or a statue. The people were getting very frustrated with Jesus because he was not following their agenda. He was not conforming himself to their expectations. How do we treat the Lord when he's not meeting our expectations? When he dares to defy our agendas? As we shall see next week, their frustration starts turning into anger and rejection. And this is always dangerous for man. Why? When man rejects divine love, he has nothing left within him except anger. He becomes like a demon, and he brings suffering onto himself 
and on to others.